0: All right, let's do... Let's try and do a countdown in Japanese. What's... Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know any numbers in Japanese.
0: Okay, Tom. So Fool. Right.
1: Oh, wait, 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 wait. I've, I've tried,
0: I'm Googling I it now. I know, I've got them up. I'm ready to go. I'm ready and ready to go. Right. <laughs> San. San. Ni. Ni. Ichi. 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 Konnichiwa and welcome to Konnichiwa. That Was Genius, the little history podcast in which two friends on different sides of the world discuss history Attempt Japanese, Attempt Japanese. <laughs> Ooh, that's going to be a treat for the audience, isn't it? <laughs> we don't do that We talk about history topics on a theme each week The theme is decided the week before but everything else is a fucking surprise, isn't it? Ooh It is Sorry, including including, including you asking me a question when I had a glass to my mouth <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I've just didn't I hold some water. <laughs> I've just looked up in Japanese what uh, my name is is watashi nonameya. That's definitely pronounced wrong. <laughs> I don't... Watashi watashi nonameya Sam. Japanese listeners are currently going.
1: Ah, huh? <laughs> hmm? uh-huh. you want to do what with the curtains? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Believe me, Tom. Where did you place the bog brush? Believe me, <laughs> Believe me in Japan, there's a porn for that. <laughs> yeah, a porn that can be
1: accessed when you go out for a family dinner.
0: <laughs> Indeed.
1: A magazine available for you to peruse <laughs> yes. whilst your children it's order actually, their starters. It's
0: actually on the menu. It's funny you should mention <laughs> pornographic things in restaurants, Tom, because this episode... <laughs> It's, it's being played at a restaurant for pornographic? Yes. Where are you no, going with this? Well, the inspiration for this episode was from one of our super fans. I hope she doesn't mind being called a super fan. Uh, Stephanie Knoll, who is Canadian and lives in Japan. And Wow. Yeah. And she wrote to us on Facebook a couple of weeks ago after we talked about the kappa in our episode on rivers. She said, have you heard about the tanuki? which is another bit of Japanese folklore. I forgot to research that. I, I'm badly prepared. I, well, it means I'm going to get enlightened now, doesn't it? We said last week that we would it, we would do an honourable mention to the Tanuki, but we probably wouldn't talk about it because it's sort of cheating since someone else gave us the idea. But we're going to do Japan this week. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice if we got Stephanie on and she could just tell us about the Tanuki herself? Why, would, why should we get all the thunder? So I did. I called her up, called Japan, just to add an extra time zone to the mix and had a quick chat with her. So here is a little clip of that. Tell us about the tanuki because all we know about them from your comment is they got big balls, and we were sold. Like okay. you mentioned, big balls. We're you guys?
2: <laughs> so basically, tanukis look like I only have the Japanese word in my head right now. Uh, raccoons, a little okay. bit, a mix between a raccoon and a red panda. In Japanese folklore, they have very very. Versatile testicles. So basically, they <laughs> versatile
0: will... testicles.
2: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So let's say you're a, you're a samurai. You're you're walking back home from drinking really late at night. You you decide to cut across the forest or a place that is less busy. And all of a sudden, some dude will invite you to have a drink in his house. And you'll be like, "Well, you know, it's free, and you know, I'm still kind of drunk, and I want to drink more." So you follow the guy. <laughs> And then you enter his house, and you sit and everything, and you have drinks, and then eventually they capture you, I think. But the whole thing, the whole house is made with his balls, basically. <laughs> they can stretch their <laughs>
0: Oh, wow. I mean- Yeah,
2: they can stretch them to-, to make everything.
0: Wow. I mean, I'll never look at snails the same way again, for a start. But-
2: <laughs> and they um, they can fly with them as well, like flying squirrels. <laughs>
0: Where where and how did this come about? I mean folklore is mad anyway, but Japanese folklore just takes it to a next level. Like that is It's
2: yeah. Well, you know, they have
0: a really long history. Yeah, they do, uh, but I mean um, even so. You have to be a really drunk samurai yeah. to say, oh, what happened last night? Well, I went into a house made of balls where a guy got me really <laughs> drunk, a stranger. Yeah, he was—he looked a bit like a panda, and uh, and that's why I didn't come home last night. <laughs> and the guy's wife's just like, yeah, yeah that sounds yeah. completely reasonable.
2: The only thing I can think is that weren't like the walls and the, and the, the, the floor very, very kind of hairy, hairy in a really bad way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right, Some wrinkly, wrinkly couch. Yeah, <laughs> and the interesting thing with the tanuki. If you've played Mario Bros. Mario, uh, the third one, there's one when you, I think, you, what is it? You get a leaf and you can become like a little raccoon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can fly. That's the tanuki.
0: Wow. I, yeah, I mean, you can't really make out the testicles in the 8-bit graphics, but I I never realized that that was what gave him that power was suddenly Mario grew some balls.
2: (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Uh, But also, they they have uh, little sculptures or statues, if you want. They're all over the place. And some are really tall, you can have like a, a... like i don't know like five feet six feet tall and the the testicles are massive and you have them in front of restaurants and hotels and touristic areas
0: traditionally with 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 statues with a particularly prominent feature it's good luck to like kiss it or stroke it (laughs) with is that appropriate in japan to (laughs) kiss or to kiss or stroke the tanuki i don't think so (laughs) no okay good to know for next time uh, Stephanie, that's absolutely perfect. Thank you so much for coming on On That Was Genius, and thank you for listening to the podcast, and it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you.
2: Pleasure was all mine. Keep on trucking, guys. Very... In- <laughs>
0: <laughs> Stephanie, I'm so sorry. We weren't taking the mickey, but, but Tom hasn't heard this interview yet, and I can't play it down the line to him before I edit. <laughs> so... <laughs> So no, so, no, no. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! I'll I'll do it, I'll do it now. I'll do it now. Thank you, Stephanie. Wow, that was great, Stephanie. <laughs> so I try getting. So basically, we well, I left a gap in the recording, in which point, at uh, which point I in the background was just going do 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 do. I like tanuki; they are great. <laughs> which... <laughs> and that's all that Thomas actually. By the time you hear this, heard. Uh, but it was really interesting. So the tanuki are they used as restaurant mascots with enormous testicles? So. restaurant mascots with enormous testicles. Yes. You weren't wrong when you said they were
1: malleable. No. Flappy as well. Very flappy testicles. Indeed, yeah. If they became your wings, your centre of gravity would be well above the wings. I can't imagine that's advantageous when you're trying to fly
0: well I you know what I imagine are there any images of this taking place yes there's eyewitness video Tom (laughs) eyewitness footage well I imagine it would be a bit like Aladdin (laughs) a
1: group of drunk (laughs) recorded by a group of drunk samurai on their phones
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can fly look at me balls I imagine it's either very much that you kind of you grab your testicles in your hands and stretch them above your head to create some kind of wing, or you fly like Aladdin on his magic carpet. Yeah, your testicles on your magic to, testicles. Yeah, to catch the wind.
1: Yeah, a whole new
0: world. A whole new world. A slightly adult point of view. <laughs> No one can take us there except my pubic hair. <laughs> Can't wait to see this whole new world with you. Key change, stand up. <laughs> so anyway, thank you so much, Stephanie, for sharing that with us. I'm still trying to work it out. That's very, very odd, isn't yes. it? How bizarre. Yeah, there's some great Japanese uh, woodworks, as always, with these things of- Enormously testicled raccoons.
1: I can see why an enormous, enormous testicled raccoon could be a very friendly drinking buddy. Until they start trying to invite you into their bollock. <laughs> I mean, that would be the... Yeah. I yeah.
0: I mean, I that would ruin the night, wouldn't it? Well, yes, possibly. I mean, it's warm. It's probably waterproof. I suppose it is, isn't it? It could be a bit damp. It could be a little bit damp. Somewhat
1: sticky, yes. Sticky floors. It, it needs the windows opened. <laughs> it does. Um, More frequently.
0: <laughs> Got got an excellent air conditioning unit <laughs> just above. <laughs> <It does. laughs> I was going to say the chimney is uh, something to behold.
1: <laughs> uh, so those are the tamuki. Actually, yes.
0: For any of our audience who haven't quite worked it out yet, Japan is the theme this week. <laughs> have you been to Japan before, uh, Sam? I have. I've been to Japan twice. I went once on a long holiday, and I went once for a long weekend in Tokyo. Wow. Where did you go? F- where were you going from? London. for your long weekend. <laughs>
1: Oh, okay, yeah, that's a long yeah, weekend.
0: it's an 18-hour flight each way.
1: <laughs> wow. Uh what was the special occasion for you to go for a long weekend in Japan? It wasn't like a sort of gig or something like that, Sort it?
0: of, yeah. You know, I used to be a journalist. Yes. And for a while, I, I did these kind of press junket things, they call them, with films when there are new films coming out. Uh, we've discussed this before. Ah, it yeah. Was a similar, it was a yeah, similar yeah, but yeah. less exciting thing where I got fired for getting into a fight with He Must Not Be Named. Yes. <laughs> Lord Voldemort. Has, has, with with the actor who played uh, fictional character Hindiana Bones, <laughs> who I can't name for legal reasons. You've got, to, you've got to edit that out. Have you got to edit that out? I don't know. I might just bleep it. Ban Wole. <laughs> yes, him as well. He was in the film The Bugitive. <laughs> he, the... he was in the film The Bugitive. That's the
1: one... Disappointingly, you're going to have to cut that out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or am I? Anyway, I've got very few anyway. fucks left to give these days. So yes, but it was a similar thing to that. And Twentieth Century Fox flew a load of journalists out to Tokyo for two days for for the launch of. There was a Wolverine movie a few years ago where he was in Japan. Ah, oh, okay. So we got flown out, and we got taken on tours. We got to see swords being made by master swordsmith. We got to. Oh, I think I've seen some of the pictures. Yeah, yeah. We got to learn some like martial arts moves from the guy who played the Green Power Ranger. Oh, excellent! My favourite Power Ranger, the best Power Ranger by far. But it was it was literally we were there for I think thirty six hours in Tokyo. It was very intense, and we got incredibly drunk at a karaoke bar and shamed ourselves horribly. <laughs> karaoke <laughs> bars are
1: fantastic out. fun, aren't they? We did a karaoke bar when we were in Tokyo. Uh, talking of celebrities, uh, Hollywood celebrities in Japan, have you seen, I almost, this was a topic I, I briefly explored for this week, have you seen some of the excellent commercials from Japan involving Hollywood stars? Yes,
0: absolutely. Of course, that was the basis of the film Lost in Translation, wasn't it?
1: Yes, it, well, yeah, absolutely. Yep, the topic for that, yeah. And apparently, I, I briefly researched it. There wasn't really much, an, enough to go on. But traditionally, a lot of Hollywood stars have taken a lot of money from um, companies in Japan to do these commercials, because uh, It'll uh, never, get commercials seen. never watched. In, <laughs> yeah, they would never get seen in in the West, and that's obviously changed Until in the last
0: the 10, 20 years. <laughs> yeah.
1: There were some crackers, aren't they? Particularly from Arnie and Sylvester Stallone. There were some very funny adverts. <laughs>
0: we'll put some links to those in the description yeah I'll do which yeah. Are well <laughs> worth watching excellent well how have you found this week Tom obviously you haven't done adverts Ah, I, I did struggle this week last week was
1: a breeze Sam I I found the topic straight away and, and it was an excellent source that I used This week I've struggled a little bit and when you start researching Japanese history particularly um, anything that took place during the Second World War it takes you down some rather depressing routes It does, doesn't doesn't it? it? It does Yeah yeah, so, I mean, I, I didn't want to do anything depressing. I mean, I, I started looking at things that I thought might be quite good fun, like some of the Japanese soldiers that surrendered 30 years after the Second World War. Yeah, think. some of
0: the holdouts. But
1: before you, you know, before you know it, you're clicking on links and you get to the rape of Nanjing and you go,
0: hmm, yes. ah, okay, yeah. war crimes, hmm. Japan, <laughs> Japan in World War Two really not very much fun and also largely unapologised for.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a nice example, though, isn't it, Sam? Because you and I have both been to Japan and I, I'm sure your experience was the same. I've never met an unpleasant Japanese person and uh, Japan is a fantastic place to travel and yet only well what are, what are we we're, yeah, 70, uh, we're 70, 80, 80 years, years ago yeah 80 years yeah since some incredibly horrible atrocities and a culture in Japan that allowed them to take place but anyway Yes. So I, I went down that route briefly, and then realised that that was way too depressing, and I was <laughs> actually quite surprised myself with how depressing it was, and also how well documented some of the atrocities are. Yes. And the photographic evidence that you can quite easily get your hands on. Anyway,
0: to our audience, if you if you really want to depress yourself, do go and and look up some of Japan's actions in World War Two if you aren't familiar with them. Things like the Rape of Nanjing, which is it's just. Appalling. Appalling. Don't do it if you need to sleep anytime soon and don't do it if you're eating.
1: Truly atrocious. And it, it's the sort of stuff that we've talked about a lot on this podcast, haven't we, in various periods in history. However, when things get to the twentieth century, they're documented. We've got pictures of it, videos of it, this stuff you can actually really see it and it's foul. Yes it, it is. It's absolutely foul. Yeah,
0: don't don't look at it. It's a li- it's live leak, grey uh, shite. <laughs>
1: Anyway, so, I, I, to, I having looked at that, I wanted to go down a more fun route. I looked at uh, Japanese professional wrestling. I looked at the origins of sumo <laughs> wrestling. I looked at lots of funny little things. And in the end, I went down, and I know we've done this a little bit recently, I went down Japanese folklore. Excellent. Uh, I went down that route. Good. And came up with a fantastic book that I'd really like to read
0: thoroughly. It sounds like a fantastic book. How about you, Sam? I did the same. I started with World War Two, but I decided that I'd try and find a... I was going to say try and find a positive spin on it there. No, that's not what I <laughs> not much, no, yeah. So I decided I'd try and find at least one positive story out of Japan's involvement in World War II. And I found one. I found a lovely one. Excellent.
1: Good. That's very good. That's actually going to be quite satisfying. Yeah, so it's
0: not... It's a funny story, but it is a, it's a—it's one that's worth hearing. Good. And then I've also, because in the last few weeks I've loved my folklore, I've got honourable mentions for some Japanese urban legends as well. Because I thought I'd add some Good. fun.
1: Excellent. Right, what are we going to flip? What are we going to flip? Well,
0: Tom, having been to Japan, I have a 1 yen coin. Excellent. Uh, so would you like the side that says 1 on it, with some Japanese kanji I can't translate, or the side that has uh, some kind of plant... I'm not entirely sure what. It looks a little bit like a menorah.
1: Oh, it's, it's sort of... Oh, it got multiple candles on it. A...
0: Yeah, it's a plant it that looks a little bit like one of those. Right, oh, excellent. I'll go for the planty candle thing. Planty candle thing. OK, here we go. We're flipping. And uh, you've won again, Tom. You're on a streak at the moment. Oh, I'm on a bit of a... Yeah, I am on a bit of a streak, he says, taking his clothes off. <laughs>
1: Uh, I'll let you go first, because I feel like I've been first the last couple of weeks.
0: Okay. I'm going to do my honourable mentions at the end, because I think it'll segue nicely into your Japanese folklore. Oh, they good thinking. Today, Tom, I'm going to talk about, and I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, but he has an easily pronounceable uh, nickname, which we'll get onto in a second. I'm going to talk about Chune Sugihara, Tom. Because, as I said, I've decided I'm going to try and find a positive story from Japan's involvement in World War II. It wasn't easy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. There's not many. <laughs> no, it's not not great. Because, uh, as, as we've said, 99.99% of the time, Japan in World War II was thunderously cuntish in its behaviour. They killed about you know, basically the same number of civilians as the Germans did, but that seems to get overlooked. So, he's known more in the West by his nickname, which is more easily pronounced of Sempo, or the Japanese Schindler. Oh, excellent. Yeah, He saved, single-handedly, around 6,000 Jewish refugees from Europe. So a lovely, lovely, lovely man. He was born in... 1900 on January the 1st which is brilliant because it makes it very easy to remember how old he was when anything happened. Yes. <laughs> you know, having to count back at all. Nice to start from the beginning. <laughs> he has the efficiency of a bureaucrat from his born moments. Yeah. <laughs> so despite being from a fairly well off family he had a quite disruptive childhood. His dad was a tax official and they moved around from place to place living in rented accommodations and temples and this that and the other and that gave him a very fierce sense of independence from a very early age. Uh, He was a very bright kid, but had an innate rebellious streak. His dad put him up to take the university entrance exams to become a doctor. But in his first great act of rebellion, Sempo apparently deliberately flunked the test. Which is an excuse... I've used, certainly, and you've used before. Yeah, it wasn't important, so I deliberately failed it.
1: Yeah, I didn't want, didn't want to pass it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, want, I didn't want to pass it anyway. I didn't
0: want to do well at that one. Two marks off a pass? God, that was higher than I was hoping I'd get. <laughs> yeah. Now let me put my leather jacket on, slick back my hair, and ride off on my bicycle like the rebel I am. You have a leather jacket though, don't you? And I've got a bicycle.
1: You got sl- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that description was remarkably accurate. Come angry. at me, ladies.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, Sempo really, really must have wanted to dick up this test, though, because for the medical entrance exam for the university, his sole contribution was to just write his name at the top of the paper and then leave the rest blank. Isn't that 50% in most modern exams? <laughs> <laughs> oh. comment <conference> on education <laughs> systems, Tom. Yeah, no,
1: no, 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 That was me sounding like a 60 year old man. Yes, indeed. Wasn't it? Put your telegraph down. <laughs> <laughs> For listeners, that's a newspaper. That not, a, not,
0: not a massive like post. <laughs> yes, but not a literal letter delivered by a small boy with a Cockney accent. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Governor. Message from my lord for you. <laughs> oh, the postman's here. There we go. Right. Oh, here comes the post. In one second. No worries. What was it this time? Let's find out. This is exciting. Uh, it's actually some stickers. There you go. That's fun. Doing a bit of uh, guerrilla advertising. So sticking oh, them everything. to phone boxes and shit. Like prostitutes do. <laughs> so <Yes. laughs> You could stick them on the prostitutes. Oh, I could, couldn't I? Because they move around a lot. Back to Sempo, yes uh, Because he only wrote his name on the paper Deliberately flunking it Interestingly, that will reappear later in the story Simply writing his name on bits of paper Anyway, the reason he deliberately failed Is because he had no interest whatsoever in medicine or science He was far more interested in arts, languages And learning about foreign cultures So instead, he went to university and studied English Brief stint in the army, stationed in Korea Blah, 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 blah He was snapped up by the foreign ministry Due to his excellent understanding of Russian, English and German and was posted to Harbin in Japanese-occupied China, which had quite a large exiled Russian population. Uh, whilst he was there, he converted to Russian Orthodox Christianity, but pretty quickly quit the foreign ministry in protest at the abysmal treatment of the locals by the Japanese and the local puppet government. Harbin was home to Unit 731, which you you might have heard of, Tom, and some of our listeners might have heard of, which was the Japanese Medical Experimentation Unit in the army. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Took tens of thousands of of people from Japanese-occupied territories and basically used them for human medical experiments and as human targets for testing new bombs and grenades on. So, really fucking horrible, much like the rest of Japan. Good work. Well done, Japan. You did well. At least they've apologised for it, Tom. Oh no, wait. So anyway, Senpo quit and went back to Tokyo in 1935, but in 1939 was sent out as the Japanese Vice Consul to Lithuania, where his job was to report on German military movements and to gather intelligence on any secret possible upcoming war with the Soviets. Now, uh, Lithuania had a huge Jewish population at this point in time. Roughly half of the urban population was Jewish, and they were being joined by an influx of Polish-Jewish refugees following the German invasion of Poland, German and Soviet invasion of Poland, all of whom could see the writing on the wall and were desperate, desperate to leave German-occupied Europe by any means possible. Unfortunately, it was nearly impossible to get exit visas. The only people writing them were rebelliously-minded diplomats who could see what was happening and went behind their own government's backs to write transit visas through their countries to far-flung destinations. Uh, fortunately, in Sempo, we have a rebelliously-minded diplomat with a conscience who can see what's happening in Europe, can see the writings on the wall, and was quite willing to do all of those things. Good on you, Senpo. Yeah, absolutely. So after asking for instructions from the Japanese government and being told that no one could enter Japan as a refugee unless they had a confirmed onward destination and a whole load of cash. So they basically said you can travel through Japan if you're going to, you know, the Dutch East Indies or America or, or wherever, but you can't just stay in Japan. We're not, we're not taking refugees. And he thought, fuck that, and and did something very, very un-Japanese indeed, and ignored All the orders he was being given. Ignored authority. Ignored authority.
1: At this time, in the 1930s and 40s Japan... Yes. Really quite a brave
0: thing to do, actually. He showed some cognitive independence. Yes. What was wrong with him? I know, Tom, I know. Everyone else was just following orders. (laughs) <laughs> they were just following orders because they had no choice oh look someone did no they had no choice but to follow orders except for this guy I was being told to rape I was, yes. in Nanjing <laughs> I was being told to yes I was under very very strict
1: instructions to garrote pregnant women yeah absolutely and, and enter a competition to see
0: who could chop off most people's heads Yes, in the Um, space of a month.
1: Yes. Yeah. Actually, it wasn't even
0: in the space of a month, was it? It was an afternoon, I think. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Sorry, we keep coming back to this. Well, I think it's probably important to mention it. Yes. (laughs) Long, exhaustive list of war crimes that were committed by the Japanese (laughs) during the Second World War. Yes. Oh, dear. Which is unfair, isn't it? Because you can't hold a generation responsible for the crimes of their ancestors, can you? No. Well, we're so, not. Let's...
0: This is the thing. No, the only we're thing not. we're holding against the Japanese is the fact that they refuse to
1: apologise for it. Yeah, and the Prime Minister occasionally goes and pays tribute to shrines where
0: yes, thousands of people, people at the shrines. <laughs> yes. So anyway, yes. Sempo decided that he wasn't going to be like most Japanese people. He was going to follow his conscience, not his orders. So he got in touch with the Soviets, who confirmed that they would let refugees into the Soviet Union to travel on the Trans-Siberian Railway to Japan, for a mere five times the normal ticket price per person. Generous Soviets. Bloody bleeding heart lefties, Tom. That's what I say. Yeah, yeah. So knowing he could actually get people to Japan safely, Sempo then started writing visas. Now, ordinarily, the Japanese consulate would write about three hundred visas in a month. Sempo was We're writing. Very efficient. It's it's not very efficient. No. <laughs> Well, I mean, Japan at this time wasn't the most welcoming of other cultures. <laughs> I imagine there may have been some deliberate slowness in the bureaucracy. It was also a fantastically bureaucratic country, which is one of the reasons why people have shifted all the blame for war crimes. But anyway, they were writing 300 of them a month, usually. Sempo was now writing 300 visas every single day. He worked 20-hour shifts every day writing visa after wanging visa after visa, wanging them out. He was also actively tracking down the heads of households because these visas were family visas. So one name could be used to transport possibly dozens of people in extended family if you got the right name Excellent. at the top of it. So he was absolutely bashing these out. The reason being that... Every consulate in in Europe at the time was filled with refugees who were desperately trying to get out. They were queues out of the door of even the most obscure embassies and consulates for people trying to get visas. And so he just decided he was going to do something about it. He was going to be one of the few people who actually did something and helped. It's estimated he managed to write over 2,000 visas, officially helping somewhere between 6,000 and 10,000 people escape Eastern Europe between July 18th and August 28th, 1940. He eventually had to stop because the consulate stopped official work and was due to close down. Even then, he just started taking official-headed paper, stamping visa-approved on it, (laughs) writing his name at the bottom, and then just handing out vast swathes of blank sheets of paper to anyone who knocked on his door. So
1: so it's like blank checks. They could write their own visas. Essentially they
0: could forge their own visas, yes, from someone who'd already managed to pick one up. Which would require some expert forgery because it was all written in in Japanese kanji and you'd you'd obviously have to get that right and make it look like you were Japanese. But, you know, there's plenty of stories of excellent forgers in Eastern Europe at the time. So, yeah, Yeah, he was just handing out blank sheets of paper. When he got into the car with his suitcases in the car, he was stamping and throwing visas out the window to people who were chasing him down the street. When he got on the train, at the train station, he was just handing out vast swathes of paper to crowds of refugees, standing on the platform, waving him off. And his last act in Lithuania was to bow very deeply to all of these refugees in a sign of of great deference, and tell them that he wished them all the best, and then he disappeared off. The refugees immediately started fleeing in their thousands. Fortunately, the Soviets just wanted them out of the USSR as soon as possible and so basically took the bribe money for the train tickets, gave the visas a cursory glance, they don't they don't speak Japanese either, they've got no idea what's on it. Yeah. And shoved these families onto trains to Vladivostok, which is the end the eastern end of the uh, Trans-Siberian Railway, where they got on boats to either Kobe in Japan or Shanghai, both of which had small Jewish communities. And so about 10,000 people, 6 to 10,000 people managed to escape German forces thanks to the actions of this one guy. And fortunately in Japan, unlike the Chinese citizens under their inverted commerce protection, uh, the Japanese really had no interest in killing or abusing the refugees. So after discovering that all of these transit documents were essentially fraudulent, they either allowed them to stay in Japan until they had somewhere else to go or or shipped them onwards to Shanghai. A uh, few people did get caught in the crossfire. There was one large extended family called the Goldbergs 30 people travelling on one visa. The visa ended up possibly being quite badly forged, so they ended up being shipped back and forth, I think seven or eight times between Japan and Shanghai over the course of about two months, not being allowed to get off the boat. (laughs) The poor bastards. (laughs) So they just stayed on the same boat? They just stayed on the boat, not being allowed off, pottering between Japan and Shanghai (laughs) for for about two months. I think probably not. (laughs) Enjoying the entertainment. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Traditional Japanese plays and beheadings every night. <laughs> comfort women. <laughs> All the comfort women you can use. Yeah. <laughs> Who were absolutely volunteering to be there.
1: Mm. Totally volunteered. Yep. Not sex slaves. They're comfort women,
0: Sam. Yeah. They're mostly there for talking. Yeah, for chat. Just c- cuddles. <laughs> absolutely. Just like the cuddle cafes you get now in Japan. <laughs>
1: yeah, there are cuddle cafes in Japan, aren't there? There
0: are. There are also cat cafes where you can go and play with cats for a bit. They possibly had a cat on the boat as well. Who can say? Unfortunately, that's lost to history. And... <laughs> we will just never know. We'll never know. We'll... The real tragedy of this story is we'll never know.
1: <laughs> we'll never know if there were cats on that boat.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, these, these thousands of people either settled in Shanghai or Japan. A few moved on to Dutch colonies in the far east or the or the caribbean or a few went to the us a few went on to palestine which is a very roundabout way to get there <laughs> <laughs> From... <laughs> Some someone really should have looked at a map before they planned that route. Yeah, <laughs> and Sempo himself pretty much got away with it. His seniors knew he'd broken the rules, but had no idea really by quite how much until literally thousands of people started rocking up in Japan.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, more <laughs> curious. <cheering. laughs>
0: Where do these ones come from? Who signed this? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the writing makes no sense at all. It's, this looks almost like it was written by someone like who's, a dreadful forgery. <laughs> like a dreadful forgery. <laughs> Oh well, we'll let them in anyway. Yes, I think that, that seems to be the Arabic word for egg. They've written there. I don't know what. <laughs> that's just a doodle of a clown. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's someone's handprint.
1: Yeah. Very strange. Yes, very strange. What is, is this? Oh well, let them in. Uh, yeah, they they haven't had a good they haven't had a good run, have they? No, gosh? they haven't been particularly lucky. They're they're one of the most persecuted ethnic groups, really, aren't they?
0: They are, along with vegans. Yeah. Be- The vegans
1: have been persecuted by the ignorance of everyone else. Yes. Haven't they?
0: They've just been persecuted by ignorance. And gluten intolerant people. Dear God, Tom, if you think the Jews had it hard, have you tried to find a gluten free pizza outside of major cities? Jesus.
1: (laughs) I have a theory, Sam. I don't know whether I've shared this theory with you before. But a lot of people. (laughs) I suspect I know where this is going. Gluten intolerant. Are people who sit all day in offices with tight belts on? going from board meeting to board meeting, never farting. The problem isn't the fact that they're gluten intolerant or they're dairy intolerant. It's the fact that they never get a chance to fart during the working day. If I was like that, I would feel like I had a stomach problem towards the end of the day. So I'm starting a campaign. Yeah. And that campaign is fart more in your office. Good. I mean, I've got to work on a snappier title. Free Windy. Free Windy. <laughs>
0: We Windy July. <laughs> wind Wednesdays. <laughs> We've got meat-free Mondays for people who think they're vegan. We can have free wind Wednesdays for people who think they're gluten intolerant. <laughs> free wind Wednesdays yeah. is excellent.
1: <laughs> Loosen your belt. Yeah. Undo the top button and let your gut hang happy and fart to your heart's content. Damn straight. When you're sort of casually chatting with one of your workmates as you're sort of perched on their desk and they're at their their computer, you just fart on their desk. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Dave, you got that email for me?
0: (laughs) I think you're onto something. Wear your loose pants, everyone. (laughs) Celebrate Wafty Wednesday with a a great big pizza and some wheat beer afterwards. (sighs) Yes, fart away at work. Be gluten intolerant. But um, yes, the Jews have had a particularly hard time over the years. Possibly not as yeah. hard as, uh, as as vegans, but there you go. But yeah, Senpo got absolutely got away with it. He uh, was pretty much too in demand to be punished. <laughs> there weren't many Japanese diplomats who could speak most of the languages of Europe. So he was shipped around Germany, Czechoslovakia, Romania, actually been promoted several times along the way. So despite his transgressions, his career went really pretty well as far as the war was concerned or whilst the war was going on before eventually being captured by the Soviets in 1944. Uh, His family and himself were held in a prisoner of war camp for 18 months, and he was finally released and travelled home in 1946, at which point he was quite unceremoniously made redundant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The Foreign Affairs Ministry claimed it was just due to post-war downsizing, but it is pretty widely accepted. It's because they'd finally cottoned on to just how many fraudulent visas this guy had written. And it really was a lot. He was pretty much single-handedly responsible for an entire new refugee camp in Kobe. So yeah, this, this guy was made redundant and lived a life of pretty much poverty for the rest of his life after that. So having gone from being... A very, very senior Japanese diplomat. Within a couple of years, he was selling light bulbs door to door.
1: Well, at least he was still having bright ideas.
0: Hey!
1: <laughs> he was still switched on, Sam. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, after a career that was uh, really quite electrifying, Tom, I think it was probably time oh, to yeah, quiet down a little absolutely. bit.
1: Absolutely, really did have his head screwed on.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> like most Japanese people in the war, who preferred the bayonet cap. Yes, yes, yes. There we go. Light bulb. And war crimes pun. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, he lived a pretty poor life after that, resorting to selling light bulbs door-to-door and then spending 16 years flitting around the USSR, basically doing whatever he he could, kind of acting as a consultant helping Soviet firms deal with the Japanese. Eventually, though, he was tracked down by some of the children he'd saved and was given the Righteous Among the Nations Award by the uh, Israeli government which is an award for non-Jewish people who'd helped save members of the community during the Holocaust. He is the only Japanese recipient of that award, incidentally. And it is estimated, Tom, that 40,000 people today are alive because of his actions. There you go. Top bloke. Yep, yeah, top bloke. Put him on the list of top blokes. Yep, yeah. Chuni Sugihara, mate. That was genius. Top bloke. You got it, you get it, you keep it. We'll send his family in. So Foster's us. coming your way, right? Yeah. Absolutely, we'll send your family a T-shirt and a pair of kangaroo the gonads. <laughs> well, I, do you know what? I don't think they're short of creatures with gonads in Japan, Tom. No, I'm just going. No, no, you call that a gonad? You, call that a gonad... <laughs> you want gonads? You want one of the bollock raccoons of Japan? Now there, Tom, here's a guy with balls. Cavernous testes, these guys. Indeed, got. yep. You could fit a billabonga wonga in the one. Yeah, of you them. Def- you absolutely could, yeah. Uh, so there we go, Tom. That's my story. Shall I do my honourable mentions or shall I not bother? We could potentially do them after my story. How's that? Because I think that'll segue nicely. Go on then. I'll, I'll do my honourable mentions at the end because I've got some silly ones. Excellent. Okay,
1: so as I mentioned at the start, I went down a folklore route and I came across a book called Journey to the West. Ah. Also known... Ah, now did you come across this as well? Yes, it's one of the origin stories for the Kappa. Oh, is it really? Which we covered a couple of weeks ago, yes. Well, there you go. I didn't encounter that with my research. Ah. So the journey to the West, which in many Western countries is, is known as Monkey, a folk tale of China, because there was a popular English translation made of the story, was published initially in around the 1590s, and it's actually one of the four great classical novels of Chinese literature. Or, yeah. according to some people, there are six. Does it feature monkeys? It does feature monkeys, absolutely. Oh. Oh. You're a clever one, you are, Sam, you're a clever one. And not just any monkey, though, Sam, a very talented monkey. And I know the theme this week is Japan, and I'm talking about a bit of Chinese literature about with a story based in China, but this, by all accounts, is a very, very popular story in Japan also. And there have been five television oh, well, if it's television popular in Japan,
0: then that definitely counts. I think it counts. This week, I'm doing omelettes, because the Japanese bloody love omelettes, Tom. <laughs> this week, I'm doing niche pornography, because if there's one thing Japan loves... It's Hairy Minges. <laughs> it's actually I pronounced s- Harry Minji. <laughs> I'm sorry, 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 Harry Minji.
1: I was talking about the manga comic, Harry yeah. Minji. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Anyway, um, yes yeah, So let me finish my sentence and stop being rude. You and your <laughs> There have been five television adaptations of this book since the 1970s in Japan. Uh, because I, I think the majority of religion in Japan is Shintoism, isn't it? But a very close second is Buddhism, and this story has Buddhist origins. So I think there is also a connection there with the Buddhist religion. That the book is attributed to a chap called Wu Cheng En. But this is by no means certain. It was originally published anonymously, possibly because it was written in the vernacular, which was deemed quite a vulgar thing to do. So whoever did write it wasn't that keen to have their name associated with it. And it tells the story of a Chinese Buddhist monk called, it's got various versions of, the, of this individual's name, as you probably know from having done your research as well. And so I will go with the easiest one to pronunciate, which is Tang Seng pronunciate? Fuck me. I can't believe <laughs> oh, I you Oh, sh-
0: you did so well, <laughs> apart from... <laughs> pronunciate. <laughs> Jesus
1: Christ, Tom. Far out. The only, my only saving grace is I picked up on it quite quickly and I didn't have to... <laughs> I'm sorry, let me try that again. Nope. The book tells the story no. of a Chinese Buddhist monk called Tang Seng, and there are many other versions of his name, but I'm going to go with that one because it's the easiest to pronunciate. Um, <laughs> and he was a real historical figure from the seventh century, and he was frustrated by the poor quality translations of Buddhist texts that were available in Ming China. So he set out on a journey to get some better ones all the way to India. So he started out in the east of China, went west all the way through China, then through the stands so Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Uzbekistan, Afghanistan,
0: Pakistan... Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Big Shirtless Stan... <laughs> Stanley Stan... Stanley from the block, Stanley Knight. Stanley Stan, Stanley Stan, <laughs> Afghanistan,
1: Uzbekistan, <laughs> Kyrgyzstan... <laughs> Akrington Stanley... Akrington... Accring- <laughs> Stan... <laughs> Excellent... <laughs> and so he was sort of travelling along the well established silk routes so it's actually when you look at it on a map it's a very long winded route to get to northern india which was his ultimate destination and the journey took around 17 years and Fucking when he hell. left yeah 17 year journey he um, was to return
0: fanning around return on a the way library, wasn't he <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> can you imagine the late fees on that <laughs> I know. Well he didn't even take it back in the end, he just took He's um, so... <laughs> just showing them the world. <laughs> and I thought the book I ordered earlier on in the week from Amazon was expensive for postage and packaging. So the journey took around seventeen years and when he left, the Emperor of Ming China actually had a ban on anyone leaving the country, so he had to he had to sneak out of China originally. But when he came back, he was warmly greeted by the Emperor. So that's that's the the real life story behind the far more fun story of Journey to the West. So the story version. In the story version, the Buddha believes Tang China is full of sin. So he sends one of his bodhisattvas. Oh, God, this is a mouthful. (laughs) Bodhisattvas. Bodhisattvas It's a very difficult word to pronounce, which by all accounts is an apprentice Buddha. Sam. Ah. Uh, I'm picturing a, an apprentice on a building site being asked to go and buy tartan paint. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, go down to the store and ask for a long wait. Yeah,
1: that's right. A left-handed screwdriver. Yeah. All those classic, classic building sites. Leads, leads,
0: Because I was imagining kind of Alan Sugar in an orange robe.
1: Oh, were you?
0: <laughs> Cross-legged.
1: Yes. Where was I? Where was I? Where was I? <laughs> yes, so um, this, uh, this, Beautiful. this Bodhisattva... <laughs> is is sent to find someone to bring back the original Buddhist scriptures to the land of, of Ming China to purify the people of all their sins. So Tang Seng is chosen. And on his journey, Tang Seng encounters lots of demonic spirit creatures that are, by all accounts, very keen to eat him so that they can <laughs> cleanse their own spirits. Uh, presumably, it's a, it's a case of you are what you eat. So if you eat a nice pious chap with good heavenly prospects, it increases your prospects of, of going uh. to heaven.
0: Well, the Chinese do believe in traditional Chinese medicine. It is a case of you are what you eat, and you absorb the properties of the food that you eat, which is why they eat so many very strange things in China. Yeah. I haven't seen roasted monk in a restaurant before. That's not to say it doesn't exist. (laughs) No. Yes,
1: roasted monk served on a large platter. With a side salad. Yeah, yeah, just to make it healthy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just to balance it out. Luckily for Tang Seng... He's given lots of disciples. Oh, so he just lets them be eaten instead. No, 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 no. These disciples stop him from getting eaten. It's basically a story of Tang Seng getting into uh, difficult predicaments and having his disciples get him out of trouble. And this happens something like 80 times.
0: (laughs) 80 times?
1: Yeah, I I, I may be wrong here because I actually couldn't find a a very... a very thorough summary of the book and obviously we've only got a week to read the book and there wasn't a chance of me doing that that said i would like to read this book it does sound like it's incredibly good fun so it's basically the story of this journey which did actually take place but with a hell of a lot more fun and this um tang sen character getting stuck in all sorts of strange predicaments now his disciples there are four main disciples they're fantastic they're excellent they're like a ragtag clan of heavenly rejects, so these are sort of demons. Going to say it's starting to sound a bit like Saving Private Ryan, or I was thinking The Expendables, like a Buddhist yes. Expendables. Yeah, yeah. With lots of slightly washed-up action heroes who uh, enjoy smoking big cigars, and so here's a list. Now the best one of the lot. You mentioned monkeys earlier. Yeah. Probably because I told you the story was called Monkey a Folktale of China.
0: Oh fuck, that'll do. English
1: translation. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> the link. <laughs> so, Sun Wu Kong is one of the, the main disciples and he's a very intelligent but also very violent monkey.
0: A bit like King Kong?
1: A bit like King Kong. Yeah, I suppose he's a little bit like King Kong but th- this guy has got superpowers way beyond King Kong. This guy's got some serious powers, Sun Wukong. Uh, he'd be excellent in... I, I am imagining him in Mortal Kombat. Oof. You know, in like some sort of two-dimensional 80s Superb. game Superb.
0: Sounds like an apprentice Buddhist monk to me. Yeah. Tang tag <laughs> Tang Seng.
1: So Tang Seng manages to control Sun Wukong with a golden ring that causes headaches when (laughs) Tang Seng recites, and I shit you not, the ring-tightening mantra. (laughs) And I was trying to think what the ring-tightening mantra might be. And I came up with Theresa May performing a striptease. Theresa May performing a striptease. (laughs) Theresa May performing a striptease. That was my (laughs) ring-tightening mantra. Anyway, so Sun Wukong is found under a mountain where he's been trapped for 500 years just for being a bit of a tow rag. He was trapped there by some other heavenly creatures, and he's released by the Buddha. Oh, I think it might have been the might have been Buddha who actually put him there in the first place. That's not very enlightened of him. No, it's, it's uh, this folklore. Of course, from, from Buddhist folklore is, is bizarre. It's very very odd. The reason why he was trapped under a mountain was he'd been made the guardian of a heavenly peach garden, and he spent all his time eating the peaches. (laughs) Some of the other divine creatures got a bit pissed off with this. So they trapped him under a mountain for 500 years. Seems fair. And yeah, as I've mentioned before, he he has got some powers. He can lift around 8,000 kilograms with his staff, which incidentally he can store in his ear. Nice. He has two. But he can store them in one of his ears, about Two ears. He can somersault around 14,000 miles.
0: Uh, that's not a superpower as such, is it? I would call it a superpower if I was able You can just roly-poly around the world.
1: <laughs> <laughs> roly-poly around the world. That sounds like another... That's not going
0: to help you in a scrape.
1: <laughs> no, but it sounds like it might help people starving in Africa. It does, does um... <laughs>
0: Roll, Roll the, world, the world, make it a better place. <laughs> We've
1: done this joke before, haven't we, in this podcast? Well,
0: yeah, we have. But it's a great joke. I'm glad we're bringing it it's back. A it's a good
1: joke. <laughs> Do they know it's roly-poly time this? He can transform into most things,
0: which is another good superpower. He can summon clones of himself. Oh, interesting. So hang on. So he claims he can, some, he can roly-poly... Fourteen thousand miles—the entire circumference yeah. of the world—but he can also—he can also make doppelgangers appear. I smell a rat, Tom.
1: Oh, I see what you think he's doing. I can, yeah. Because when I was reading this, Sam, I couldn't—I couldn't think of any holes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, fortunately, fortunately, you have the inquiring and naturally sceptical mind of Sam Data here with you, Tom, to help you through the scrape.
1: And also some ring-tightening mantras, which help fill those holes. Um, so to speak. Yes. So he can make the weather do what he wants Good. on occasions as well. And he's got very icy breath that can freeze people. That's his cool mint mouthwash. Yes, yes, yes. His, his Wrigley's mint <laughs> gum. Did you ever play role-playing games when you were younger? Did you ever play like Dungeons & Dragons or anything like that?
0: Oh, right, that, that kind of role-playing game. Uh No, <laughs> no. My uncle didn't make me play
1: those sort of role-playing games. <laughs> no. Um, no, neither did I. But no, I, he I did get say impression... he was a wizard.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I get the impression that this, if you were a role-playing nerd, this would be like your dream character because he's just got all these ridiculous powers. Another one of the disciples was a was a chap called Zhu Weneng, and I say chap, he was half pig, half man. And again, I shit you not. The reason why he was half pig, half man is the reincarnation wheel fucked up when he was in it. <laughs> there was a fault oh. in the reincarnation wheel. When he came out as half pig, half human.
0: You know what, Tom? Some of us have the destiny of being bitten by radioactive spiders and uh, becoming superheroes. Others clog up the wheel of reincarnation. Yeah. Some of us get stuck in the sausage making machine.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, quite literally. <laughs> Zhu Weneng has thirty-six possible transformations. I think I may have read that actually the monkey guy had 72, twice oh. as many possible transformations. I know. How gutted would you be if you were Zhu Weneng and you only had 36? Oh, right. I bet half of them are useless anyway, like, a, I don't know, an eraser. Or... <laughs> hey, there's nothing useless about an eraser, Tom. Well, yes. He was a former naval commander of the heavens in, in the Milky Way. Which sounds a little bit like a divine boondoggle, doesn't it? it um, does. Being a naval commander in the sky. Is that, pretty um, sure that's a Beatles song, isn't it? A, a divine boondoggle. <laughs> yeah. The naval commander in the sky. Naval <laughs> commander of the. No, I don't know what sort of accent I was doing there. I was trying to do uh, Ringo Starr. <laughs> we all live in a big yellow boat in the Milky Way. In, in the, the Milky, Milky Way. Way. In the land up in the stars lives a <laughs> lives a
0: man pig thing.
1: Men's legs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so and this pig, this pig man, loves being lazy, loves eating food, and is a bit of a womanizer.
0: Well, with features like that, who wouldn't? That's exactly what I
1: thought. Exactly what I thought. The ladies obviously go for <laughs> it. that rebel streak, isn't it? Like, just yeah, like absolutely. A rebel.
0: It's his leather jacket. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, there's another one called Sha Wu Jing, who's a river ogre and is a, a far yes. more boring character, which is probably why, prior to this position as a disciple, he was actually a heavenly curtain-lifting general. And uh, again, <laughs> I'm not making that up. He was a general of curtain-lifting. That sounds
0: very much like a pervert. <laughs> yes, yeah, it does, doesn't it? Also, I think he is the one who is the influence for the Kappa. The River Ogre. Yeah, I think, I think that's where the Capper comes from. One of the stories.
1: Ah, fair enough. So, the, yeah, so he was a River Ogre. I don't know about you, but I draw curtains as well. The curtains should be drawn and not lifted.
0: Yes. If you want to carry them over your shoulder.
1: Oh. Okay.
0: <laughs> it's like yes. that old joke about the nuns, isn't it? Have you heard, do you know that joke? No, hit me with it. So there's a nun having a bath. And the other sister knocks on the door of the bathroom and says, Oh, sister, oh, sister. There's a blind man here to see you. And then nun thinks, oh, fine. Send him on in. He's blind. He won't know that I'm in the bath. And so the blind man comes in and says, Hey, love, where do you want the blinds putting? Nice tits, by the way. <laughs> hey. Excellent. I've got some other curtain jokes.
1: Go on. <laughs> doctor, doctor, I feel like a pair of curtains. Pull yourself together, man. Wee. How would you make a Venetian blind? <laughs> Book him in the eyes. Hey. <laughs> Also a good one is, um, how would you make a Swiss roll?
0: Push him down a hill. <laughs> hey!
1: hey. Uh, so that was Xiao Wu Jing. There's also Yulong, which is a son of the Dragon King of the West Sea. But that's a very Dungeons and Dragons title, isn't it? It
0: certainly is, yeah.
1: He appears as a horse that Tang Seng rides, which is a bit weird, isn't it? If you were a... I mean, I don't know what Yulong looked like originally, but you he looked a bit like a Dragon King. Um, I think he was the third son of the Dragon King, so why would you want to then disguise yourself as a horse? Buddhist folklore is very, very, very strange. When the group of them finally reach their destination, which is in uh, India, Vulture Peak, in the foothills of the Himalayas, they get their texts from the Buddha, and uh, they're rewarded for their successful journey and for successfully negotiating all these demonic spirit world creatures that are trying to eat them. By being made Buddhas, or uh, one of them was made a deity, I think, or in in the case of the piggy, the half-pig, half-man, Zhu Wuneng, he's made chief altar cleaner of the heavens so that he can scoff up all food. There you go. So that's the happy ending to this story. And it does seem like an excellent, excellent book. Genuinely seems very interesting. And I would actually really like to like to read it. It sounds suitably mad. It does sound bonkers. And I, I imagine a good translation of it would be excellent to read. It does sound like very good fun. And it is a really, really popular story in Japan, apparently. Good. Well, it's excellent, Tom. Thank you. Pleasure, as always. So that, that kind of segues into some of your silly.
0: It does. Well, I decided I needed to do some more reading on Japanese folklore and, and urban legends because I thought there wasn't enough rudeness in this episode. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we didn't really mention that at the start, did we? We've done a couple of very rude episodes, and we both tried to be cleaner this week. Until now, (laughs) these are legends emanating from Japan's public toilets. Excellent! I like
0: Japanese toilets. So do I. That's what I should have researched. Yeah, there you go. They've got pulsing jets to clean you. They play noises to hide the sound of your pooing. They've got heated seats. Yeah, yeah, amazing. They're fantastic thing. The things. Japanese super You know, you can get some now which have little sample testers in them and they will test your samples, so to speak, and will automatically send the results to a, a central centre where they'll be analysed by a doctor who will then order stuff Directly for you on your behalf Say what, sorry? Stools are us Indeed uh, <laughs> And then, then they'll order you food Based on your dietary requirements Fucking hell, awesome, Sam, that's excrement <laughs> <laughs>
1: You've been saving that up <laughs> Oh, yes <laughs> And that's why I get such accurate test results <laughs> uh, what, what, what does the U-Bend look like? Does it just sort of branch off into a Infinite different tubes? How does that work? Yes, like a a duck's
0: vagina, yes. Like like...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Like a duck's vagina?
0: Yeah! Ducks have labyrinthine vaginas, and they'll only open up the the real one for the right uh, duck. For David Bowie. (laughs) For David Bowie. (laughs) 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 Yes. So anyway, the first legend, Tom, the first urban legend from Japan's public toilets, is Akamanto, also known as the Red Cape. Akamanto is a guy in a red cape, Tom, who hides in the last stall of the women's bathroom in public and school toilets. And when a lady sits down to, to do whatever she needs to do, Akamanto pops up like a proper Japanese upskirter. Pervert. Uh, <laughs> pervert <laughs> and demands that you choose a sheet of red paper or a sheet of blue paper that he holds you, you to. You must pass <laughs>
1: yes. the riddle of the papers. <laughs> before well, you Tom, poo?
0: To be honest, as long as it's double-ply, I don't care. <laughs> if you choose the red paper, Tom, you get killed by flaying. Yeah, his skin ripped off. If you choose the I blue just... paper, you get strangled or all the blood gets drained from your body. All I came in for was a poo. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. This escalated quickly, right? Apparently, if you choose another colour, he will angrily drag you down into the pits of hell. Apart from yellow, Tom, if you pick yellow paper... You get bogwashed. washed <laughs> <laughs> You just get your head stuck in the bowl and he flushes it. Supposedly the only way to survive, or at least to get out of there dry, is to either run away or, apparently, just to ignore him. <laughs> you don't have to answer. Just just ignore him which does seem like a fatal chink in his armor. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, a weakness. Maybe that's what the buttons are
1: for for the music. You just press the music, you drown him out with the sound of a hand dryer. <laughs> it was a
0: bird song, yes. So the second urban legend is Hanako-san. Which is a widely believed legend about a ghost of a girl who haunts school toilets, Tom. I came across that one, yeah. Did you? Apparently she died whilst playing hide-and-seek during an air raid in World War II. Um, She doesn't really do much in most of these legends. Sometimes she does, but she doesn't really do much other than kind of spook in an appropriate toilet fashion. Eerily leaving the seat up, or strangely leaving urine around the bowl. Flipping the loo roll round the long way, or clogging everything with a massive turd.
1: That sounds like a myrtle, moaning myrtle from Harry Potter. I mean, it
0: sounds like me. (laughs) Uh, But yes, she's very much moaning myrtle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Nevertheless, despite the fact that she's a bit of a shit ghost, no pun intended, it is quite common, apparently, for groups of kids in school to go into the toilets at break time to try and summon her.
1: You can summon evil spirits. I I often go to public toilets and summon (laughs) evil spirits.
0: (laughs) Yeah, usually you can just do it by dialing the number written in the Sharpie on the wall. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Kevin Spacey turns up <laughs> <laughs> but anyway Tom yes there we go those are my honourable mentions from Japanese folklore excellent that was fun I'll delve into Japan there is so much weird shit with Japan like I, said, I tried to steer away from folklore but there are some mad fucking creatures in Japanese oh, folklore
1: that, that, that the, now the other thing I almost did I forgot to mention was Shindogu I almost did Shindogu. The
0: Useless Invention Society.
1: Yeah, yeah, which has been going from the mid 70s, I think. Yeah. Famously had the selfie stick as a silly invention, which obviously then became a very useful (laughs) invention. Yeah.
0: Sort of a company, sort of an art project, isn't it? Which makes deliberately shit and useless inventions.
1: Yeah. Originally, the chap who invented Shindogu was an editor from a magazine that was targeted at housewives. And when there wasn't enough stuff to go in the magazine, he just invented
0: stupid things to put them in and they became very popular. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Very funny, Shindogu. They've got a great invention for Japanese commuters, which is a special hat with a suction cup on the back. And it means that you can suction yourself to the window and then fall asleep without dribbling on the people (gasps) next to you. But it also has a special pouch in the front that you can uh, stick a piece of paper in with your final destination and a little bicycle bell on it so that people can ring the bell to wake you up. (laughs) It's your stop. Brilliant. Brilliant. Genius. (laughs) genius <laughs> yeah i remember
1: yeah i like think they got other things like a fork with a motor so that you press the button the fork <laughs> just spins round and spins around your
0: spaghetti Especially, yeah
1: <laughs> and brings it th- honestly the other ones um little umbrellas that you can put on your shoes to stop your shoes getting dirty
0: <laughs> i've forgotten the motorized spaghetti fork yeah. that was a genius one
1: <laughs> the little cloths so you can put on your cat's feet so they can clean the floor as they're walking around yep. your
0: house Do you know what? You can actually buy those as
1: well. Oh, can you? That genuinely exists. Uh, There were some very silly ones when I was
0: researching (laughs) Shindogi. Fan-fucking-tastic. Right, well, we should probably think of something to talk about next week, shouldn't we? Yeah, I didn't do much thinking about that. I haven't
1: either. What topics have we discussed this week? We could do the Silk Road. Oh, we could do the Silk Road, yeah. Yeah, Silk Road could be a good one. Yeah, let's do let's do Silk Road. That's a goodie.
0: All right, done. That's that's odd, odd, oddly unusually highbrow as a topic for us. <laughs> yeah, oddly specific. It's been a while since we did anything with actual history. Oh, <laughs> I mean, vegetables! To be fair, great episode. <laughs> Rammed full of juicy historical stuff. That one. Other vegetable puns. Right, let's go. Let's. Go. <laughs> We're done. Let's wrap this bad boy up. Not in plastic packaging. That's wasteful, vegetable fans. Right, we will see you next week for a trip down memory lane slash the Silk Road. I don't know. It's late in the day. Uh... (laughs) It's not for you. It is for me. (laughs) It's not even lunchtime here. All right. Have a good week, everyone. Say goodbye, Tom. Bye. Bye.